this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to another Disney at Work podcast, the third part of our four-part series in which we've had a wonderful opportunity to talk to Tim Morris and have him share his lifetime experiences and lessons in working with Imagineering. In our first podcast, we had a chance to talk about creativity and innovation as Tom worked on Journey into Imagination at Epcot. Our second podcast had an opportunity to focus on his contributions to Disneyland and many of the lessons learned there. I'm so thrilled to present today's podcast because we're here at Disneyland Paris and the timing could not be better because if you have Disney Plus, you are probably wanting to um, watch the third episode in the series, which focuses and features uh, the advent of Disneyland Paris and its rollout. Tom Morris is interviewed in that um, series and uh, brings some great, uh, great uh, stories uh, to that video. I think this podcast is a perfect complement to um, what is shared in the Imagineering story. And at the end of our podcast, we have even more resources to share with you, some of which you cannot apparently find anywhere else. So please stay with us through this podcast. Now, there have been some other really wonderful podcasts that Tom has done. Um, I'm thinking uh, the Tomorrowland Historical Society um, and others where he's really shared what he did um, in Disneyland Paris, particularly his work on the castle, which is so signature to the park. Uh, we spent a little bit of time there, but I really asked Tom to walk around the park and share with me the contributions of the other Imagineers who focused on different aspects of the park. I also asked him to share a story in which uh, he received some ideas, feedback from Eddie Sato, who uh, was responsible for Main Street USA at Disneyland Paris. And I think that's a wonderful story. And um, so we have a lot to share. So take a listen to this and, um, and remember, oh, please remember, you have got to look at the notes page because there are so many... Um, uh, attractions that are mentioned, which you need to see the visual for it. So we provide that. Uh, I should have maybe made this into a vlog, but the honest truth is I like to listen to podcasts when I'm working out or when I'm driving. And I think you do too. So I, I provide this podcast, but, but don't miss the show, show notes page. Anyway, without further ado, let's go back to our interview with Tom Morris. Okay, so Paris... Uh, the castle, everything, you came in into the Paris experience with a lot of the work theoretically right. planned out. Right. Don't touch this, just get it done. Right. Kind of mentality exactly. yeah. here. Lots of interiors to do, but and kind of the exteriors more or less figured out. Besides the castle, which right. is so phenomenal, if you have not been to Disneyland Paris, you are just doing yourself a disservice not to go just for the castle. The castle is a gem on so many levels, and um, literally. <laughs> and um, what of your other projects in Fantasyland? If you could go to one place other than the castle, what other project, what other attraction really brings it home, which you just 
Well, well the ones that I got involved with were the castle, of course, and then the hedge maze, Alice's Labyrinth, mm-hmm. um, because that was not on the original menu. That so that came in after I had started, um, and which takes several years to pull together because you got to grow the thing. Yes. So yes, that was yeah. But it, we had three years from the time that it was determined that we would have a hedge maze, um, and so that's why it. it, it um, they used, now I can't remember, it was uh, Tuya, I think, was the plant, which was the fastest growing, but it had to be followed up later by a slower growing, more permanent. Um, type plant. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. So they grew all that. They probably grew it in England, because um, that's, you know, that's where all the hedge mazes are, and there's favorite, hundreds of is them. Is there a favorite part of the hedge maze that you love? The labyrinth? Um... No, <laughs> I think I, the whole thing. Oh no, that's I like the little spiral part, the dodo rock. Um, it's kind of fun when it works right. You get um, it's a double spiral, so you see people going clockwise and counterclockwise at the same time. And that music is playing, and the pop jets are popping, and the dodos spinning around. So uh, when that when that's working right, it's a neat little piece of public, uh, you know, kind of performance art. Um, and then I designed the train station and stage there. Um, you know, the way I designed the castle. I mean, I sat down and drew it up. Um, those were the only things I was heavily, heavily involved in, and then the rest was kind of supervising, but I, I did... Um, well, how about Aftermath? Did you do Storybook or... Uh-huh, yeah. Or the, you did Storybook yeah. and the, the Old Mill. Yes. And... Uh, Casey Jr. All, well, I was in charge kind of from a you know, overall... Um, art direction standpoint for all the added capacity pieces except for Space Mountain and um, some of them came together kind of by themselves like the Nautilus we gave to the master of Nautiluses Tom Sherman and um, you know that didn't need to go anywhere else and um, we had we put uh, a walkthrough in the fort at the entrance to Frontierland. Love that. Love that. And uh, we put a walkthrough at the entrance to Adventureland yes. with Aladdin because it had just had come been, out. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... I'm trying to remember whether it had... I think it had just come out. Just come out, but, yeah. it, but it hadn't been planned right. previously. That's right. Um, take me... If you don't mind, take yeah. me around... Take me around the park. Start, let's start with Eddie and Main Street. Yeah. The main designers. Tell right. me what strength they brought to the table. So... Um, Eddie is a great, uh, first of all, has great imagination and great ideas, and he's a quick sketch artist, and he learned uh, to be a quick sketch artist from people like Herb Ryman, who, you know, he, he uh, got to know pretty well. And I don't think he wanted to do Main Street. Um, I think he was actually, he might have told me recently that he was actually brought over to WED from, I think he was working at uh, Landmark, entertainment at the time and he was brought over um, and I think he thought he was going to be working on something else but then he got put on the Paris project and put on Main Street and he was kind of like oh my god you know and there's another job that's kind of already designed for you because they were going to use the Walt well, Disney World. Well, he wanted to do the 20s. He wanted to do the 20s. 20s type version yeah, but he got right. shot down on that budget right. wise. Right. Uh, well it was Michael didn't want to do it. Yeah. So I think the Everyone else was open to the idea, but uh, Michael wasn't open to the idea. I think he just got nervous about making such a departure. 
Um, so Eddie brought you know so many great ideas and made Main Street that much better. You know, with the trolley barn. I love the story you share about his input on the right. castle, which you kind right. of wanted but didn't want. Right. Uh, you mind sharing that story again? Yeah. Well, I think you know during this time in our careers, when we're in our um, late twenties, early thirties, we're very uh, competitive and protective, much more so than we should be or need to be, but we just are, I guess. And um, so. Now I was, I, I always liked to think I was more open to um, bringing in any idea. I mean, that's just something that I learned from Walt is I take my ideas anywhere. If the yeah. you know, uh, person emptying the wastebaskets has a good idea, I'm going to take it. You know, the dream catcher, you, could, yeah. you, take, you catch right. it everywhere. Right. And so I remember Eddie came in one day and I was, you know, this was kind of maybe one of the last pieces of the castle that I had kind of deferred because I was like, I can't, you know, which way does this want to go? And I had been doing my typical tissue on tissue on tissue. Um, (laughs) And he said, why don't you just, you know, since you're doing trees inside and since there's a motif already going on of uh, the woods, you know, it's like, uh, it's the um, $25,000 pyramid, things you would find in the woods. So um, the corbels and um, just a lot of the, ornamental pieces had already been determined, you know, acorns and squirrels and that sort of thing. And he said, why don't you just make those branches? You know, I was trying to figure out a way how to trim the vertical, main vertical part of the biggest tower. And he just did this little, quick little sketch of the branches forming a little gothic shape towards the top. And I'm like, damn you! (laughs) (laughs) I would have gotten there. (laughs) (laughs) He just came and did it. And, you know, and it was the right idea. Um, so I always see Eddie up there. Um, and I think Eddie was open to that kind of thing, too. Not all of the show producers were, but, um, but because, like I said, we were in that kind of, maybe in that yeah. competitive. Yeah, you had a little territorial, yeah. but you had your own land. Territorial, yeah. so, so take us to Frontier, then. What? So that was Jeff Burke yeah. and a lot of Skip Lang and a lot of Pat Burke. Yes. But Jeff was the um, guy in charge, and I think his passion was with the Phantom Manor, making that a new show with a maybe a clearer story, or a story, <laughs> whereas the mansion... Rather than the cocktail theory yeah, that Walt kind right. of espoused, you know, you kind of hear something right. different every time you come. Right. This was going to be a little more literal. A little more. It's just a little more Price. of a backstory to it. Yeah. And so he was passionate about that, and the you know the um, golden horseshoe or diamond horseshoe or lucky nugget. Lucky um, nugget. Yeah, lucky nugget. I'm starting to forget the names. They Beautiful. all start to mush up. Yeah. Beautiful interior. And the whole idea, you know, I don't know if it was his idea to put Big Thunder in the middle, but um, you know, just using the Western cinema music because that was you know never done before. In fact, Frontierland never had background music. It always had just the little fort music. The banjo. A banjo or something. Yeah, when you came And here in. was this spectacular. Right, and that was done, Western. And that was how the West was one time. Exactly, type and that was specifically geared Muffin. towards what we thought the um, French audience would go for. You know, their idea of what the West was was less nuanced than what you see at Disneyland, where you go from sort of colonial times, you know, to log cabins. To you're basically going from east to west. So he had a know? real strength for reading the audience and what. Yeah, I think 
I European think so. And I think we were all there. encouraged, you know, to go out there as much as we could and get a sense of what we, you know, um, what we thought they were going to want to see or, or what they might reject. So take us to Chris. So Chris, oh, uh, yeah, just, you know, fantastic model builder, you know, totally um, designed by model, you know. He does also draw and lays things out, but he had already, I think, proven himself as kind of a guy who's really good at doing things like islands and rivers and waterfalls and um, uh, that kind of thing. You know? But he had also worked on Star Tours, I remember that, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, so he was just good at kind of, you know, just um, meat and potatoes, cool placemaking. You know, just based on, like, another one who probably grew Boy, up at placemaking is a great way to, yeah. to describe uh, you know, bridges the experience in Adventureland. And winding, you know, neat little uh, walkways and pathways. Um, and then I think, you know, he had a dream of, you know, um, kind of reimagining the pirate attraction. Um, so it looked like everyone was getting to reimagine one major thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, Pirates was going to be his uh, reimagining. And um, so, you know, a lot of his effort went into Pirates, uh, but, you know, the Treehouse as well, which was part of, you know, all, that whole complex of Adventure Island and then an Arabian Nights kind of um, entrance to the park. And I think the you know the um, Morocco Pavilion had probably just opened in Epcot a couple years earlier, and that was like the state of the art pavilion at the time, and was kind of groundbreaking in how it made you wander Lost. and meander. Yes, which yeah. is which is really the yeah. the uh, the layout for Galaxy's Edge, right? Know, is to create that sense of um, totally uh, immersion. Yes. Um, so, Tim, over in Tomorrowland. So Tim, of course, um, I think had already established himself through Epcot as being kind of the visionary uh, for futuristic um, yeah. and, you know, designs that people had never seen before, cutting-edge design. And um, I think the whole idea of mixing, making Tomorrowland kind of a Tomorrowland of all sorts of visions of the future, you know, yesterday's vision, today's vision, tomorrow's vision of the future. So you could have Jules Verne and H.G. Wells and you can have George Lucas in there as well. Yeah, and combining those visions. Yeah. So Space Mountain, of course, was the you know cherry on the icing on that. So that brings us to and Tony. And Tim had designed a uh, oh, okay. fantastic version of the castle too. He was one of six or seven people that uh, were all working on castles, which was why I was told not to work on the castle at first. A French... Or no, uh, Art, Nouveau. Art Nouveau. It was, it was, you know, kind of a neo, neo who did, who Art did, Nouveau. Who did the, uh, yeah? Who did the futuristic? That was, version? that was Tim. That was Tim. Yeah. So that's why I said neo. It was oh, kind of okay. like. Uh, yeah, I think Art Nouveau. I, I go yeah. back a hundred years, but that yeah. was that futuristic was, version. We'll yeah. show that in the show notes. It's it's right. it's so over the top. Right. It's beautiful. Different. A lot of people, you know, said that they preferred that, and I was you know, kind of just agnostic about the whole thing. I'm like, whatever you want me to do. <laughs> well, even I, I, well, I knew what Tony wanted, so that's, yeah. you know, I, I could um, kind of speak shorthand with him on that one particular thing. I, it wasn't, 
it wasn't always easy, that easy to know what he wanted on something. But on, in that case, I knew exactly what he wanted. Um, and it's beautifully played out. What is Tony's strength? I think it's like Walt was in knowing how to uh, put people together. Bring people all, to the table. You know, he has great ideas, but also the ideas are going to come from other places. So it's being an editor. And he's open of, to that. Yeah. And, and, and so he's an editor of good ideas and bad ideas. You know, he, he knows the bad ones from the good ones. And um, quickly, you know, rather quickly like Walt did. And um, then able to, you know, bring out the best and, you know, like with me, I didn't know I could do a ride layout until he said I had to do a ride layout. <laughs> I so, suspected I could do it, but I had never done it before. I didn't know exactly where to start. I had to kind of feel my way through it. So most podcasts... Well, as you can see, we've taken kind of a whirlwind tour of Disneyland Paris. If you haven't been to that park, oh, you have absolutely got to check it out. May I suggest don't do it in the dead of winter. The attendance is down. The lines are short, but oh, it's so, so cold in the winter. In the summer, it's just beautiful. And even though the attendance is crazy high because Europeans are on holiday all summer long, it seems, um, you you definitely want to check it out when it's so beautiful. In the meantime, do check out the notes page because so many things you've seen that, that, that contributions Tom added um, f to the park and also... Um, the contributions of the Imagineers that he mentioned. I've highlighted uh, a lot of photos and visuals, more than I usually do with most uh, of my notes pages. So please check that out, that picture of, of the castle that Tim Delaney created. So over the top. But you have to definitely check that out if you haven't seen that before. Also, I have a little video in the notes page um, where Tom uh, celebrates the 20th anniversary of the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea walkthrough attraction created by Tom Sherman, uh, who was uh, uh, the, the expert on all things Nautilus and 20K. And so even though that uh, video's in French, you want to check that out. Now, before, uh, before we finish out this podcast, I have one other story to share from my interview with Tom, and it has to do with um, uh, Pinocchio's Village House and Figaro. You remember Figaro the cat from Pinocchio? So this plays into, if you remember, there are actually several Pinocchio Village Houses. The first is established um, with um, Walt Disney World, believe it or not. They were the first to create a Pinocchio's Village House. And uh, that was so successful that when they redid Fantasyland in Disneyland, they decided to add that along with the dark ride of Pinocchio. Wish we had a dark ride in in in, uh, in Florida, but um, but there's a little story about making a mistake in building that um, attraction, and um, and Tom shares that, and then how we. Um, created this little uh, reminder of uh, learning from our mistakes in the Disneyland Paris version of Pinocchio's Village House. Uh, so check that out and uh, listen to this um, Tom talk about it here. That we have to think about daily. Um, 
Uh, you yeah. share in a video that, that I posted on, on YouTube, and, and we'll put that in the show link. Um, you share a little story uh, about Pinocchio's Village House. And I, I, I believe this is where I got the story from. That um, Of course, there's been several Pinocchio Village House. Right. First was Magic Kingdom. Right. And then when Disneyland got rebuilt uh, with a new Fantasyland, they put one in. Right. And there was a problem with... Um, putting the exit sign oh, right. in the right place right. over the over the exit. Right. And so to make up for it, I assume to someone on Tony's team at that time drew um, yeah. drew Figaro yeah. with a with a rope leading Pulling that it. little yeah. exit sign. So right. when Disneyland Paris got built, um, they they put the exit sign in the right way that time. Right. And uh, and, and it's thumbs up, thumbs up from yeah. Figaro. So, yeah. do you know anything more about that story, or well, or how let's that see. I think the original one for Fantasyland, Disneyland '83. Uh, I think Bruce Gordon. That was probably Bruce Gordon's idea, and um, and so he was very proud of that. And I just thought it'd be cute, you know, if we acknowledged, because here we, here we are right at that design phase where, okay, make sure we don't put a column in the middle of that space where we can't put the exit sign. Um, so this time the exit sign went in the center and it wasn't that much of, a, uh, of an effort to have Steve Cargyle, our really great, you know, character artist, redraw that. And have them do a thumbs up. So it's yeah. kind of like the ultimate inside baseball little wink, you know. Yes. Um, and so just thought it'd be cute, and you know, maybe someone. I just thought maybe someone twenty years later might catch it. Well, and I don't know <laughs> if you've noticed, but at, which is now it's been redressed over in Disneyland with the Beauty and the Beast theme, and they have the little foot cushion dog right actually uh with the oh, rope tied no, to I the exit sign. i haven't been in there yet so yeah next time you're there yeah. go 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 yeah. back and check that out yes when you're in town so yeah. just uh, so you know i have a facebook live that i've done from red rose tavern that showcases how that was redone from pinocchio's village house in Fantasyland at disneyland but it presents the whole story and the link and there's photos there of all this and it's just some great messages. Our souvenirs for your organization, which is signature to our Disney at Work podcast, um, takeaways that you can apply to your organization can be found at that link. So that's where we're providing those souvenirs for this week. So check out that link as well. Um, and there's more references. So when you visit um, the notes page for this podcast on our YouTube channel, I have a series of videos and uh, we had a library with the Disney Institute um, prior to moving from an office that was near SeaWorld. I had borrowed, uh, using air quotes, a video of Disneyland Paris and the creation of, and it was an interview of all the Imagineers talking about Disneyland Paris. And after, so not long afterwards, not only did I leave, but um, D Disney Institute actually moved to another set of offices backstage at Walt Disney World. And uh, make a long story short, the years progressed, like 20 years practically, 
And I realized I was in possession of this video. And I looked all over YouTube. I looked all over and I, I do keep track of all of the interviews and things out there and realized this video was nowhere to be found. So um, I have actually um, put out that video and it's available on YouTube and it showcases all the Imagineers first in a compilation video and then individually land by land. You have Main Street, you have Adventureland, Frontierland, Tomorrowland, and then you have Tom Burr or Tom Morris talking about Fantasyland. So I've put the links there and you want to check out these videos. This is where you get to deep dive into the crazy wonderful details. Michael Eisner really felt strongly that the level of detail in Paris needed to be far and above what you see in the other Disney parks. And that is why Disneyland Paris is the most beautiful park as is shared in the Imagineering story. So, so definitely check that out. And for more stuff, please check out my book, Disney Leadership in You. So I, I try to create a podcast that you can listen to in the car while you're working out, but there's so much more to listen to. So check out these other resources, whether it's the Facebook Live story I have on Pinocchio, whether it's the YouTube channel with all these Disneyland Paris, the notes page that I have for this podcast, or um, my book, Disney Leadership and You, which is available on Amazon. Hey, check it out because there's so much great stuff out there that is not only just fun to hear about, it, um, it inspires you with your own work and what you do. And that's what we're all about here at Disney at Work. Whether at, at, uh, at work or play, we want you to follow the compass of your heart. And so this is Jeff Kober, hoping that you have a great day and please stay with us. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast because uh, next week we will share Tom Morris as he talks about his experience with Hong Kong Disneyland. Thank you.